We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is presented to you by RickRunGood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I'll be referencing on the podcast can be found over at RickRunGood.com. We have Corn Ferry Tour stats. We have Live stats. We have Euro stats, including strokes gain metrics. Uh, we are the only fantasy golf focused database to have it all. There is a premium Slack channel where you can hit me up for any questions. Uh, you also get what I believe to be the best ownership projections in the business from Michael Cavalunas, updated multiple times throughout the week. And my two premium articles as well, an in-depth course breakdown and a Wednesday DraftKings final thoughts article. So you're getting a lot of golf content, pretty much absolutely everything you need for betting and DFS for a very reasonable price. And if you bet and play DFS week in and week out, I do not know how you can go without it. So sign up today using promo code Andy, you can get it for, I believe, seven bucks a week, uh, less if you sign up for the year. But if you want to try the week, give it a chance. Uh, Hit me up on Slack. Let me know what you think. We would love to have you as part of the community. So rickrungood.com, coupon code Andy. All right. Haven't done a Sunday one of these in a while. Uh, Not that the Sanderson Farms deserve some sort of in-depth discussion, but it's a solid event. Uh, We did not have a regular event last week. So I hope in terms of, uh, you know, betting in DFS. So I hope there's some more interest this week in terms of the betting in DFS side. Hopefully you were able to get down on the United States President's Cup side. I mean, it's not over. I'm recording this on Saturday night. Um, but hopefully they can come through tomorrow and you were able to get down on them at some point before that line got out of control. And uh, thus forth, you got some money to play with this week for the Sanderson's Farms. I don't have a ton at the top. Uh, I know it's been a while, but I, I don't have a ton at the top before we get into Sanderson. I, there was some live, there's a bunch of live news that I, you know, I could dump on a little bit. Um, that tank is overflowing with material right now. The Justine Reed stuff, uh, was a pleasant surprise this morning. There are some OWGR takes that uh, some opinions that I have as well, but I feel like most people hopefully kind of 
have figured it out at this point. You know, after a certain point, uh, it's like, you know, there's a lot of funny jokes and you try to be fair and I'll continue to make the jokes when it calls for that. A lot of them honestly don't take a ton of creativity and kind of write themselves. But I think there are uh, many, and I'm super, super guilty of this myself at times, who you know, have just kind of made the live thing their entire personality on both sides, by the way, not just the people that are riding for it, um, the people that are destroying it nonstop. Like I said, I'm very guilty of that as times myself. So uh, you kind of put your head down on the pillow at night and it's like, fuck, man, did I just engage with a robot or somebody that just lives to be aggressively contrarian for the sake of your own opposing political party. And you know, that's not, that's not to say that this is totally black and white like that. Obviously I, I know many Democrats enjoy web and I will admit I did foresee and was somewhat exonerated to see the Senate Republicans be like, dude, what the fuck are we talking about here? Um, but it more just turns into a situation where do we really want to dig our heels in here and argue with people that are never really going to change their opinion? And again, I try not to be guilty of that. I sometimes fail, though, and I try and stay open-minded, too, in the sense where, like, yeah, at this moment in time, live is capital N, not for me. Uh, I know that. I know what I like. Uh, I'm not one of those people that hated it before trying it. I've actually watched a lot more of it than I would care to admit. I am don't really think it's fair to hold an opinion on something that I've never tried before. Uh, but I, again, I'm totally open to the possibility that if they start going to, to some interesting golf courses, that's a big one for me personally, um, and if they get strokes gained and maybe switch up some of the format stuff a little bit, uh, and I feel like maybe I could s- start to gain an edge gambling on it, and I, you know, I have something to watch in terms of um, the interest in the specific golf courses. Like maybe if some of those things happen, I am totally, totally open to changing my mind. Um, I'm open to changing my mind on anything. Strong opinions loosely held. Shout out Tanks. That reference will be lost on 99.9% of listeners. But honestly, I think a lot of that stuff has run its course in terms of it hopefully playing a massive role in the news cycle. Um, I don't think many people watched it in Chicago, and now they're going to Jeddah where it's the middle of the night. Um, I don't know if we'll get any more signings in the next couple of weeks. It seems like their roster is pretty much intact right now. Uh, But I think we're kind of just reaching the point where the people that like it are going to continue to like it. Um, The people that ride for it are going to continue to ride for it. The people that don't like it are going to continue to not like it. And the people that don't care are going to continue to not care. Um, I don't think anything happens at Live Jetta or maybe in the next even six months to a year that is going to convert anyone on either side. I don't think if, you know, maybe if they sign someone like Mito Pereira, does that make anyone who was previously out on live in? Does that make anyone who was previously in on live out? I think both sides are pretty dug in at this point. It's just a 
it's a true let's see it how let's see how it plays out situation. Um, and when something that I feel is worthy of talking about happens regarding it, I'll talk about it. Uh, but for now, I don't see a ton of value in spending time litigating whether they should get world ranking points. Um, I have my opinion on that, uh, but it's not something that I feel super passionate about enough to opine about either way. I will be totally honest. Um, I had all these notes written down uh, on this whole monologue that I was going to give on the official World Golf Rankings and uh, Greg Norman's visit to Capitol Hill. Um, It was really good. Don't get me wrong. But I scrapped it uh, because I felt like I kind of had to check myself. I thought about it and asked myself the question, am I spending time talking about this right now because I actually find this interesting and important? Or am I just trying to dunk on people? Um, And like I said, I kind of had to check my intentions on that because like I have said, I have been totally, totally guilty of getting a release out of arguing on Twitter for the sake of arguing. And I'm trying to be better at that and more cognizant of that. So I scrapped it. And that's all I got on the live news. Um, almost feel similar about the President's Cup in the sense that I just, I don't really have too many hot takes on it. Um, I mean, Quail Hollow, they are what we thought they were. It just doesn't do it for me. Um, and I like that it's been a little firmer and faster. Uh, But I wrote all week in the content and course breakdown stuff uh, I had to do that. I just don't think there's a ton of strategic value to this course. Um, I think it is a great test from an execution standpoint that, you know, I am totally fine with a PGA Tour event being held there every single year. I mean, it absolutely separates... um, moderate ball striking from elite ball striking. Just look at how Kevin Kisner has been able to hold up this week compared to the other players. Um, I am totally fine with them having a PGA tour event here, just like I am totally fine with them having a PGA tour event at Torrey Pines and Bay Hill and all these courses that don't offer a ton of color or strategic value, but actually really do a good job of like separating who's playing the best golf that week. Um, And I think Quail Hollow is hard enough and able to do that. Now, the issue that I have is I think it's a terrible match play course. Um, I've kind of struggled to understand the strategy of the drivable par four on the back nine all week, if there actually is any strategy to it or if it's really just a long par three. I think that hole's kind of weak, to be honest with you. The green mile, (laughs) in my opinion... Uh, is basically asking like a very specific question um, that there, you know, there's really just one answer to the test on that one. And I, I tend to like my golf courses to have a, a little bit more color and a little bit more variety. So I have it to be totally honest. I have not made a ton of time for it this week. Um, like I said, I've always been extremely consistent on my criteria of 
why I watch golf and what personally compels me to watch golf. This is just for me personally. I'm not speaking for the masses because I know I'm big time in the minority here. Um, and that's what I've kind of tried to say. Like, yo, I'm I'm actually out on live for different reasons than, than probably most people. Like they have yet to go to an interesting golf course. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm not a huge fan thus far. Um, go to an interesting golf course and I will watch it. I will make time for it, which is kind of the converse case, how I feel about Quail Hall. I'm not I'm not going to make a ton of time for Quail Hall. I've watched some of it, but you know there are about 12 to 15 golf tournaments every year that I am there for, right? Like I am trying to, I'm watching all of Saturday and Sunday, and I'm also trying to catch most of the coverage on Thursday and Friday. Uh, and the one thing that, those 12 to 15 golf tournaments, you know, every year have in common is the golf course, um, is that they're held at really good golf courses. And, you know, obviously there's generally a lot of history involved with them as well. You know, the majors and stuff like that, but I'm also, I'm super dialed into Riviera every year. Um, and I did not miss a second this year of the Curtis cup at Marriott or the Walker cup last year at Seminole. So I recognize, again, that I'm in the minority and I care about different things, but I wasn't canceling my regular golf games this weekend to dive into the President's Cup. And to be honest, unless it gets really tight down the stretch, I'm like I said, I'm recording this on Saturday night. So right now they've got an 11-7 to 7 lead. Uh, it appears that the internationals have closed the gap a little bit. Um but football is still going to be on the big screen for me tomorrow. I don't have the luxury of uh, multiple, multiple screens at my current setup, although I am moving soon. So maybe hopefully that changes, but it's uh, it's on the laptop for me tomorrow with football on the, on the big TV, unless it, unless it gets close due to the very uncomfortable sum of money that I have on the U S winning. Uh, but it seems like it, you know, it kind of has delivered, in a lot of ways for people that maybe had some low expectations. I think that Tom Kim probably oddly enough deserves a lot of credit for it. And I actually think like (laughs) it's maybe swung too far with this kid. Like (laughs) it's been a very dull president's cup. Again, not a super interesting golf course, not super competitive for the most of it. I mean, there've been a lot of like pretty good matches, Right. But there hasn't, it wasn't until I think late this afternoon where it really felt that, that tiniest glimmer of hope that maybe the internationals were going to make it interesting. And maybe even that statement is a bit ambitious. It probably is. Um, Not a ton of emotion, again, especially coming from the international side outside of this one guy. Right. So I get that people need to latch on to something from a content perspective. But after the 80th Tom Kim tweet today, it's like, all right, we get it. He's got more personality than his teammates. He's played well. I wouldn't say he's played out of his mind. He's two and two. Uh, He's played well, in my opinion, comparatively speaking to his teammates. I do not think he's been the best international player. I think he's been a top three international player. I do not think that he is a bona fide superstar. I think, I think that he is a bright spot on a very dull international team and a very engaging antidote 
to the banality of this tournament. But this is not Tiger Woods Jr. here. I don't even think he's like a young Phil from a charisma standpoint or a talent standpoint or his style of play is overwhelmed. I I like his emotion a lot on the golf course, but I don't think that his style of play uh, is overly captivating or mesmerizing like a Phil or even a young Spieth. He's a nice player. He's not winning the Masters next year. Um, And I think we might have just milked that one a little dry uh, over the past two days looking at my Twitter feed. Not even an anti-Tom Kim thing, honestly. I just, you know what? I'll admit it. I saw him get compared to Rory McIlroy today, uh, (laughs) who could never swing a golf club again and retire tomorrow and would give or take be the 16th greatest golfer of all time. That one triggered me for sure. They don't even have, like Rory hits the ball 50 yards farther than him. And Tom Kim would need to win about 15 times in four majors in the next three and a half years um, to get to where Rory was at, at a young age. So once we started getting into, he's winning the masters and he's a superstar and he reminds me of Rory, that's where it's like, all right, He's great, fun player, but if you're like if you're the international team, a hundred percent, I get it. One of the biggest positives that you're drawing from this week is like, okay, at least we're gonna have this guy in our lives for the next twenty years. Uh, but it felt a little bit to me like, okay, this has been relatively banal from a content standpoint, and we're we need something, and he has delivered. On that promise, I do not think that this is a generational superstar or guy. Um, but you know, who knows? We'll see. If again, like if he has, if his next three and a half years look like Rory's from twenty to twenty-four, I will hand up apologize. I will, I will be the first to hand up apologize on that one. Um, and I think he is undeniably good, good for the game right? Like that is, you want to talk about getting a little bit more juice. That's awesome. That is a, probably a W on either side, right? It's probably a W if you're, you're Jay Monahan just watching this from a bird's eye view, right? And he doesn't seem like the type to go to live um, either, but you know, can't rule it out with anyone. So it's definitely been a fun week from what I've watched. I, I'm pretty excited for Sunday singles. I really you know, I'm not a huge fan of best ball. I, I really like alternate shot a lot more, but it seems like actually the, you know, to be fair, the best ball matches have been even a little bit closer than the alternate shot matches. But uh, overall, did we learn anything as we sit here Saturday night from the President's Cup? Were there any massive surprises? Uh, I thought the international team had, you know, I was never, if you listen to the podcast that I did with Capper and and BK, I was never saying that they were going to get embarrassed. I thought that they kind of, again, were who we thought they were. I thought they were going to be chippy um, and scrappy. And I think they'll be chippy and scrappy tomorrow, too. Um, I think we'll get a lot of close matches and singles tomorrow. And I record this podcast um Generally on Saturday nights, like when the final action of a tournament is going to happen the next day, 
um, just I, I've seen and heard from the responses. There's a lot more people really appreciate if I can get it out on the earlier side on Sunday. So I don't really get to do a full recap of the tournament. Maybe I'll talk about that a little bit on this week's podcast on Tuesday. Although actually I probably won't cause there's a, uh, I'm doing something else that's pre-recorded, but you know, listen, a lot of the matches were close. What I've watched in terms of the golf, um, I thought there's been some bad golf kind of the first day and there's been some good golf too. Um, I had much higher hopes for a guy like two guys, actually like Corey Connors and uh, Taylor Pendrith. That kind of surprised me that they came out flat. Um, Corey Connors was kind of by my metrics, probably playing like the third best golf out of anyone on that team coming in. And he was kind of a hinge guy that you kind of needed to go like three and one if you wanted to have a legitimate chance. And, He's not going to do that. And I think um, the international, they needed ceiling performances from Decky, ceiling performances from uh, Sungjae. And one of Corey Connors or Adam Scott to be like, yo, man, give me the ball. And Tom Kim has kind of done that. But again, Tom Kim's gone two and two, right? And that's actually one of the best records. Cameron Davis has been awesome and he's gone two and two right adam scott really came on today i thought adam scott played some great golf down the stretch today on saturday and he's been two and two right so uh we'll see what happens tomorrow um should be fun should be fun all right let us take a quick break uh and then we'll dive into the sanderson we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, the Sanderson Farms. Uh, This tournament's been held annually on the PGA Tour since 1968. Uh, It was hosted at a number of courses over the years, Hattiesburg Country Club and Annandale Golf Club, before moving to its current home, the Country Club of Jackson. Um... I'm actually going to play that course uh, in April. Um, My dad spends a lot of time down there. Uh, So in the past, this tournament was played opposite a major or limited field tournament, and then it became part of the fall series. Uh, Then it, you know, it went back to being an opposite event. It used at one point, it was held the same week as the British open. And then it went back to the fall series and it was opposite the, of WGC in China. And then in 2019, the tournament was 
upgraded from an alternate event to a full status event. The prize fund was increased, 500 FedEx cut points now, and an invitation to the Masters. Um, And that's why we've seen, we'll say, somewhat better fields over the last couple of years, although I think that uh, last year's field is probably a little bit better than this one. Um, It's not been great, but it hasn't been Barracuda or Puerto Rico Open bad, where all of the best players are playing somewhere else that week, but it's probably what we're going to see for a lot of the fall swing. Um, Sam Burns is back to defend his title, and then it's kind of like a bunch of young guys, um, and those young guys are are kind of into that headliner spot and probably going to be close to the top of the odds board. I'm referring to guys like Sahith Tagala and Davis Riley and I guess Taylor Montgomery now, but uh, you look at how this has played out in the past. Sam Burns last year, 22 under. He was the tournament favorite. He won at 10 to 1. But then uh, you look at the last like seven years since it's been played at uh, uh, Country Cove of Jackson. Sergio was 70 to 1. Um, he was like, you know, anecdotally like the best one of the best players in that field, but he, he wasn't really coming in with much good form. Munoz, 66 to one Cameron champs, 66 to one. I think that was Cameron champs first win. Ryan armor, 125 to one Cody gribble, 125 to one Peter Malnati, 250 to one Nick Taylor, 400 to one. Right. So you, so Burns winning as a favorite. It's the only guy under 66 to one in the past seven years. Uh, and as you can see by the winners, Pretty much any type of player can compete here. The last two years, we had, you know, kind of the two best players in the field win in Sam Burns. And like I said, Sergio kind of just on a on a pedigree standpoint, he was definitely up there. But, you know, I would not expect uh, this is not a tournament, in my opinion, where the favorite has a massive leg up. It's not a golf course that does the best job of separating average from elite tee to green play you go back a couple of years and any golf course where ryan armor cody gribble and peter malnati all players that are marginal pga tour pros at best to be kind um have been able to win that is a tournament that is going to come down primarily to putting and we can litigate how much distance matters soon uh but to have ryan armor and cameron champ win in back-to-back years is an interesting dichotomy. Probably the two most contrasting styles of play that you will find pretty much shows you that I don't think that you need to have or should have any strong opinions held at this course, such as you need to be a bomber. I'm sure that will be a popular one, or you need to hit a bunch of fairways. Maybe who knows what people are going to say. Um, but no, this is a golf course that is going to cater to a bunch of different types of players and not necessarily weed out the weaker tee to green players the way that we are used to seeing at some of the other courses. Um, So the Country Cup of Jackson, it's a par 72, 7,461 yards. It's not a super short course by any means. Uh, Designed by John Fott in 2018. Uh, The course was actually laid out way before then, uh, but Fott kind of came in in 2018 and changed a ton of stuff. So Water comes into play on five holes. The fairways are 419 Bermuda grass measuring 29 yards wide on average. The rough is 
Bermuda grass with zoysia grass, two inches. Greens are 6,200 square foot champion ultra dwarf Bermuda grass running 12 on the simp, uh, on the stemp. Same Bermuda that we're used to seeing at Sedgefield and TBC Southwind and Quail Hall actually this week. Uh, and this course is a standard par 72, four par threes, 10 par fours, four par fives. The par threes in general, probably the toughest aspect of this course. They rank as a seventh, fifth, fourth, and 10th most difficult holes. All of them play right around even par, which, you know, I would consider tough comparatively speaking for this golf course. And, you know, none of them feature over a 21% birdie rate. Two of them are over 210 yards. So they've got a little bit of bite. And the fifth is the 15th is a drivable par four. But other than that, six par fours between 400 and 450 yards and, you know, three really long ones, the 16th, six and the 18th, which all play over 475 and play as the three hardest holes on the course. So again, uh, not that you should ever be looking at scoring on hole lengths to begin with. That's an incredibly fraudulent and problematic stat, but it's a, I think one of the strengths of the course is that it's a, you know, pretty even distribution of holes here. You know, you're going to have a fair amount of wedges, not a ton of middle irons, but you're also going to have some, some long iron approaches too. And the par fives is really where you can separate yourself and tear this place up. The, that quartet plays as the easiest, second easiest, fourth easiest, and fifth easiest holes on the course all feature over uh, a 25% birdie rate. And par five scoring is definitely a stat that you probably want to pay attention to this week is there's a strong correlation between those that have performed well on par fives and finished highly at this tournament. And overall, uh, what you see is what you get. It's really bland architecture here. This might be the straightest course that they play all season outside of maybe Torrey Pines. Um, there's not a lot of dog legs here or curvature to the holes. This is kind of like the Bermuda grass, easier version of Torrey Pines in, in terms of its architectural identity. The course is pretty much all out in front of you. Not a lot of tricks to it. Um, I guess the biggest defense is that it's not super short, right? Like there are a couple long par fours in there, a couple long par threes. Um, but as I hope you guys know by now, sheer length is not what makes a course difficult for PGA Tour pros. Firm and fast conditions are. And, you know, this is one of those courses where they just water the greens <laughs> um, because it's a fall swing event. And, you know, they're pretty comfortable in that 20 under territory. I don't think that they want some of these guys that are making their second or third starts on the PGA Tour or, you know, coming out to Jackson, Mississippi to uh, get some early season FedEx cut points to get their ass kicked. And, um, you know, they don't, this is not, I would, wouldn't call there's the greens are fast, but I wouldn't call this course very brown or fiery. And, you know, as a result, it generally ranks as one of the easiest courses on tour. Um, last year it was the sixth easiest course on tour. And every single year it ranks inside the top 12 easiest courses on the PGA Tour schedule. So let's dive into what I think matters this week. Let's start with some off the tee stuff. So uh, 
It does feature the ninth most narrow fairways on tour, uh, but similar to what we saw a couple weeks ago at the Fortinet, the penalty for missing the fairway is not very severe. Um, last year, Country Cove of Jackson ranked 28th out of 38 courses in missed fairway penalty. The year before, it ranked 36 out of 40 courses, and the year before, it ranked 26 out of 29 courses. So historically, it generally ranks as one of the less penal courses in terms of wayward driving. Excuse me. Uh, I would say that in this heat, the nature of this Bermuda rough is probably a touch more problematic than what we saw at the Fortinet. Um, It ranked 12th out of 38 courses in rough penalty, but still it's not enough of an inconvenience to deter players from hitting driver. Also, there's not a lot of uh, protruding trees or wa- it's tree line, but um, or wazer hazards in play off the tee. It ranked 33rd out of 38 courses in non-rough penalty and 27th out of 38 courses in fraction of missed penalty, uh, fraction of missed fairways that resulted in a penalty stroke. Um, so while I would say that the rough is a bit more unpredictable, like I said, just continue to compare it to Silverado. Um, Play, pay, players are pounding driver a ton on this golf course. Um, and driving accuracy here is low. So, like I said, the strategy off the tee is very similar to what we saw at the first fall swing event. Even more so, I would say, because this course is a lot straighter um, than Silverado, where you're going to see a lot of missed fairways because it's a somewhat narrow golf course. But that is not going to affect player strategy off the tee. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about the distance thing too. Uh, you know, Ryan Armour won this tournament averaging 269 yards off the tee. And then Cameron Champ won the next year averaging 334 yards off the tee. I would wager that a 60-yard gap has never, 65-yard gap in back-to-back years between winners has never happened on any other golf course. I would be very shocked. Um, And so you look at what Cameron Champ said, and Cameron Champ basically says, driver's the key out here. If I hit driver, it's a very scorable course, so I just keep hitting it as much as I could. Even if the fairways are tighter, I felt like I was further up, even in the rough versus hitting three wood, being 40 yards back, I would rather be up there. I guess that's the game plan. Right, So you have a bomb and gouge quote from Cameron Champ. And then Ryan Armour says, my strength is driving it in the fairway, hitting it on the greens, trying to make putts. I don't overpower a golf course. Uh, I don't go for many par fives. It's just about making percentage choices. So then you have this kind of strategic plotters quote, right? So you have back-to-back winners, one saying this is a bomb and gouge course, the other saying this is kind of a a course that lends itself to, you know, strategic plotters, fairways and greens type players, right? So which one is right, right? (laughs) Um, And I think it's important to uh, note in this uh, discussion that champ is champ and armor on like two, like extreme, extreme ends of the spectrum, right? Like champ is quite literally the longest player on tour and armor's like nearly quite literally the shortest. Um, but I went back and I tried to figure out like, okay, if I'm, if I'm modeling this out for this year, 
what is the prevailing style that I want? Like what is more conducive to success here? What do I actually care about the most? And kind of like I touched on at the beginning, like I, I don't think there's like a, a right answer in terms of, I, I know it's kind of a cop out, but I'm speak. I, I have a lot of strong opinions on certain golf courses. And I think my strong opinion on this one is that I don't think that you should take a, a, an, an angle and go super hard in the paint with like bombers. Um, or, you know, I, I also don't think that you should value driving accuracy percentage here just because Ryan armor won. Um, so you, like you run through all these leaderboards and remember, never just look at the winner. The winner is usually the one that it has an outlier performance putting. Um, look at how the whole top 10 shakes out, even the top 20, and try and figure out, okay, what is everyone good at? What's everyone's past to success? And and try and find the commonalities there. And basically for every bomber that you get on this leaderboard, there's a shorter, accurate type right next to him. In 2022, it's Cameron Young and Trey Mullinex are completely offset by Andrew Landry and Henrik Norlander. 2021, Scott Stallings, Cameron Davis, offset by Peter Malnati, JT Post, and Henrik Norlander, all very below average in driving distance. Uh, the list goes on, and it's the same thing for fairways as well, right? In 2020, Munoz won with below average driving accuracy. Sungjae ranked first in driving accuracy that year, and he lost in the playoff. 2021, Sergio hit a ton of fairways. Malnati and Poston both finished second and third, losing in driving accuracy, right? And those guys weren't even long. 2022, Burns and Landry, top eight in driving accuracy percentage. Cameron Young, Nick Quatney, worse than field average in driving accuracy. So if I'm landing on a side, and if I had to choose, like I'd, I would probably take distance over accuracy on this golf course just because I believe that path is easier, again, on this specific golf course. Um, although I will say I'm pretty low on off the tee in general. I, I don't think that, I think that you can kind of get away with murder off the tee here when, especially when placed in context next to approach and punting, um, while distance certainly helps here, there are all these examples, um, that, you know, you don't see at pretty much every course. And this is probably be like the biggest difference between, uh, this course and the comparison that I used earlier to Tory Pines is you've got a lot of examples on this course where players are still contending while being short and inaccurate, right? Like Peter Malnati is short and inaccurate off the tee, and he has success at this golf course every year. Poston, another one, both finished second and third that year with below average distance and accuracy and being neutral off the tee overall. Norlander, fourth in 2022, losing over two strokes off the tee. Um, so again, like there aren't a ton of courses out there where there's a great deal of evidence where you have a lot of all, literally all shapes and sizes being able to compete. Um, if I'm looking at any short, if I'm looking at any off the tee metric, I'd probably want to look at a player's ability to gain strokes off the tee on longer golf courses, right? I don't really care as much if it's through distance or accuracy, but you know, how does a player perform on driver heavy golf courses? This is a golf course where it is advantageous for you to hit driver on pretty much every hole. So 
you want to try and determine who are the players that tend to succeed when a driver is placed in their hands as much as possible. Uh, pretty straightforward stuff with the irons. These greens are relatively receptive. They water them a ton. 10th easiest greens to hit on the PGA Tour. Um, pretty standard in terms of difficulty inside 150 yards and from 150 yards plus. And like I said, it's kind of an even approach shot distribution too. The range that is above tour average here is 100 to 150 yards. 16.5% of approach shots come from 100 to 125, 20%, 125 to 150. So, you know, you're getting a solid 37% from that 100 to 150 range, but I wouldn't go too crazy on any specific proximity distances because it's actually pretty spread out. You know, there are enough long holes where you're still getting like 22% of your approach shots from 200 yards plus. Um, again, which I actually think is like a strength of the course. You know, often you get these courses, especially in the fall swing, where players are hitting wedge on 13 of 18 holes. And here, you know, you're getting a pretty even split of short holes and long holes. Um I can't make a legitimate case for for looking too much at around the green on this golf course at all. Um, I do think kind of at a macro level, level, chipping out of Bermuda can be tough, but it ranked 27th out of 38 courses in around the green difficulty, and every single year it ranks as one of the easier courses in around the green difficulty. It's a course with very high greens and regulation percentage, and you know, you've Munoz won here in 2020, losing strokes around the green. Sergio won here in 2021, losing strokes around the green. Post and finished third, losing strokes around the green. Five of the top 12 in 2021 on the final leaderboard actually lost strokes around the green. Four of the top 11 in 2022 lost strokes around the green. So that's not something I would spend much time on this week. Putting. Uh, last year, 41.4% of strokes gained came putting, which is comfortably above the tour average of 35.6. Historically, that number gets a little bit lower, but you know that would definitely put this in the putting contest zone, although it is worth noting that Sergio and Burns have now won here in back-to-back years, gaining a total of 0.8 strokes putting. Uh, but I would say essentially we've had two years in a row where the best ball striker in the tournament has just showed up. And regardless, of course, that player is going to win if they show up. If you look farther down the leaderboard, it's a lot of players that are just getting by on the strength of their putter, which you can do at this course. Malnati plus 9.2, Poston plus 8.5, Norlander plus 7.1, Watney plus 11.7. So based on the percentage of strokes gained that are coming with the putter, I would still put this in the category of courses that are not necessarily going to weed out the weaker tee to green players. And you could make up ground pretty easily on the greens in terms of degree of difficulty. It ranked towards the very bottom of the PGA tour in terms of putting difficulty. That number has gotten a, a lot closer to tour average and, you know, historically. So I, I wonder if last year was maybe a bit of an anomaly where, guys were just making everything but uh you know it was funny to me it ranked 26 out of 38 courses in putting difficulty inside five feet uh 30th out of 38 courses in difficulty putting from five to 15 feet 38th out of 38 courses in 
putting difficulty greater than 15 feet. Uh, players seem to love this champion Bermuda, by the way, anecdotally. Um, no, I thought it was funny, though. One of the things John Fott talked about in his redesign is that he wanted to create these Ross-like greens and emulate some of the sub- subtleties that Ross was able to create in his greens. And um, to put it bluntly, I, I think he failed at that. Um, this was the easiest course to lag put on last year. Um, but in fairness, you know, I think it was just maybe a little bit softer last year and players were making everything, but you know, you typically think of Ross, he has these very internal and difficult breaks that, you know, make putting at a course like, uh, Pinehurst really freaking hard, or even, um, Sedgefield is like a pretty tough lack putting course by the numbers. Right. And, um, this is the easiest uh, of all courses on the PGA Tour last year in putting outside of 15 feet. So, uh, anyway, I uh, I think you want to look at Bermuda putting on this golf course. Um, unless you're having a peak Sam Burns tee to green week, you're going to have to rely at least somewhat on the flat stick. A uh, couple other things. Par 5 scoring, big week for that. Uh, absolutely essential to score in the par 5s here. Uh, 2021, every single player in the top five finished top 10 in par five scoring. Burns finished fourth at par five scoring. Watney finished second. Uh, 2020, very similar deal. Sergio was seventh. And then Post and Bradley Ventura, McCumber, Denny McCarthy were the top five players in par five scoring. They all finished top six on the leaderboard. Uh, birdies are better gained. Easy scoring conditions, right? Stuff like that. Like, you know, I personally tend to think the question of can this player get to 20 under is a very overrated phrase and content and handicapping that is quite subjective. Uh, but I do find it worthwhile to look at players that consistently seem to raise their baseline on easier scoring tests, right? These are the type of players that generally have a lot of upside, uh, with their putter. And then again, um, I like looking a lot at Bermuda courses, not necessarily just Bermuda greens, right? Like from an agronomy standpoint, this uh, Country Club of Jackson is Bermuda grass from from head to toe, right? It is still extremely hot this time of year in Jackson. My dad's down there right now. Um, And after spending like a bit more time talking to caddies, I still firmly believe that players care deeply about agronomy. and it matters. And again, I think in handicapping, the industry still spends too much time looking at Bermuda versus Bat versus Poa putting splits instead of looking at how players perform tee to green on courses with certain fairways and certain rough. Um, you know, I've, as I mentioned, it like literally requires a different technique chipping out of Bermuda rough. Um, and then not to mention the climate. And that's another thing. I want to dig into more this year. I would be lying to you if I've said I've allocated enough time to really have takes on this, but there might be something to like figuring out some of the temperature stuff too, right? Like, you you know, players that perform well at Eastlake and TPC Southwind are going to have a very similar Southeastern climate this week in Jackson and Cody Gribble, one of the guys who won here, he, grew up in the Southeast and he was 
talking about how he was just really comfortable here. Um, so that's something I'm going to monitor as the year goes on. But I think like in terms of uh, guys that have maybe performed well at like a Southwind or an East Lake, those are two Southeast courses that are hot and sticky. Um, and there might be some correlation there uh, in terms of like comp courses in general and course history. In terms of the predictive nature of course history at this course, like Jackson, Country Club of Jackson's on the lower end. Of course, there are players such as Peter Malnati and Denny McCarthy that, you know, just seem to really love it here. But I think it's so easy to come here like a Cameron Young, like a Sergio Garcia, like a Cameron Champ, and win or contend here on your first appearance. Um I wouldn't necessarily penalize any player if they haven't played here before or necessarily blindly plug someone in just because they played well here last year. Um, how a player putts at this course is too much part is too much part of the equation. So um, in terms of like uh, other comp courses, uh, I talked about how like in terms of the actual layout of uh, the architecture, I, I I know the climate and agronomy is completely different. Torrey Pines is actually the course that, again, checks the makes the most sense to me from like a architectural and strategy standpoint. Again, I think like the biggest difference is that this course doesn't do as good of a job of, you know, making shorter players dead on arrival, right? Like I think at Torrey Pines, it's just, it's so long and there's so many more long par fours that it just kind of kills the Kevin Kisner's and Peter Malnati's of the world right out of the gates. Whereas here there's still enough medium length par fours, but in terms of like, Hey man, this hole's pretty straight. There's fairway bunkers from like 275 to 320. It's a driver hole and the fairways are like relatively narrow, but like, yo, if you miss, like it's all good. Like you, you got some room off the tee and then you're going to have like a, mid to long iron approach into a pretty bland uh, and somewhat receptive green uh, like that doesn't have a ton of internal or subtle breaks. Like that's kind of the roadmap here. It's an execution golf course. Can you do this? Like, can you hit your driver here and then your approach to here? Like that is, that is what we're dealing with here at Jackson too. Um, So it reminded me a lot of Torrey Pines in that standpoint and then I you know I think there are if we think of longer courses that are not overly difficult there are a couple that come to mind right Corrales Caves Valley Trinity Forest Vidanta um, those are all kind of driver heavy courses where the but you know driver heavy courses that are still easy where the course's biggest defense is kind of its length but we plugged all this in together and uh Got a top 20 in my model. Um, so here's who it shot out. Sam Burns, number one. Um, probably doing something wrong if Sam Burns uh, isn't number one in your model this week. He is the clear best player in the field. But, uh, you know, if Sam Burns wins the tournament, he was number one in my model. Another niche joke. Um uh, that is not going to play to all of the audience with that one. I will not take actual legitimate credit for Sam Burns winning uh, 
the tournament just because he was number one in my model if I don't have uh, my own actual money on him. Um, Russell Henley, number two. We get some rust bust back in the mix. Um, he is one of the better players, in my opinion, on this tournament. In this tournament, uh, Davis Riley, number three. Uh, Gary Woodlands, number four. Huh. Uh, Scott Stallings, five. Chesson Hadley, six. Whew. Uh, and then it, yeah, I mean, it gets relatively dark pretty quickly. Alex Smalley is a name that will be interesting. Mark Hubbard is always, always rates out really well. Grio, Keegan Bradley is playing. Uh, Adam Hadwin, Christian Bezadenhout, Austin Smotherman. I will be back. I, um, I like Smotherman a lot this week. Brendan Steele, who uh, let a lot of people down last week, might be a good spot to go back to Mr. Steele. Chris Kirk, Kevin Strillman, Adam Svensson, JT Poston. Um, and I don't think they're, like, in terms of the other guys that, you know, didn't rate out as well for me, but are, you know, probably going to be closer to the top of the odds board. Sahith, uh, which I... That's a bummer that I, I don't, he's not seeming to check as many boxes as I would have thought, but I'll, I'll have a deeper investigation on that one because I know he almost won here last year. Seamus Power also in the field. Taylor Montgomery, I imagine, will be a very popular selection this week. Um, I want to get out of here, but I w- will be honest. I think it, Taylor Pendrith is in a perfect spot to fade. Um, I, he gained 11.2 strokes putting last week i mean that was as phony of a third place finish as it gets and i can already see him being crowned as the best player in the that corn fairy tour class which i'm personally not sure that i agree with so um uh watch out for that one uh denny mccarthy christian besaden sebastian munoz those are also guys in the field that might be towards the top of the odds board um for me we'll do a short early lean section this is a tournament that uh, in my opinion, I think you want to let some of the odds dictate what's going on for you here. I think there are going to be some guys that are going to come in at odds. Uh, there are going to be a lot of guys that are going to come on at odds that people are going to stick their nose up at. And I think that there are going to be some guys that, um, in my opinion, should have high odds in this field and and certainly won't. So uh, just a couple players that I have some some tepid interest in. Uh, I'm probably got to just keep riding this fence in train as a macro buy. Uh, he, I bet him at the Fortinet. He was great. He finished 12th, 3.2 off the tee, one on approach, uh, 3.5 short game loss, 0.8 putting. Um, you know, I wouldn't call it some elite ball striking performance, but this is just a player that I believe in. Um, uh, so again, I think I just got to keep riding him. He's good enough off the tee. He's shown an ability to completely spike on approach, and uh, he's shown that with the flat stick as well. He's kind of doing a lot of the things that you want to see for a player right before he wins. Um, And two of his three top tens last year on the PGA Tour, I think he's had more success on bent on the Corn Ferry Tour, but, you know, seventh at the Sony, ninth at the Honda. Uh, He can do it on Bermuda as well. Uh, I think it's another good um, buyback spot for not that this guy is sneaking up on anyone or going to be, you know, completely dropped in the betting market, but of like the 
Sahith, Taylor Montgomery, you know, kind of young guns breakout crowd. I probably prefer Davis Riley the most. Um, he actually hit the ball pretty well at the Fortnite and lost six strokes putting. And that doesn't really bother me very much in your first start of the season. Um, he's ha- He has a lot of the same stuff with Svensson where he's shown this ability to kind of innately pop in a bunch of different categories and hasn't really been able to square it up all in the same week. But contending performance at Valspar, that's a Bermuda course, although that one is overseeded. Um, semi-contending performance in Mexico, which is not a whole lot different um, in terms of the roadmap that you're going to want to take at this course, right? Um, and, you know, he's he's been there at the Charles Schwab too as well. So Riley, Svensson, um, I want to dig a little bit deeper into my boy Woodland um, as kind of some sleeper guys too. Uh, Chesson Hadley, uh, Alex Smalley, Austin Smotherman, um, that's enough names. Uh, all right. So that's it. Uh, this week on the podcast, I, I did want to do a Sunday one to get some of my Sanderson farms thoughts out because I'm not going to do a regular betting show. I, uh, I have Luke less caddy coming on the podcast. Uh, we pre-recorded that about two weeks ago, um, when they were in Napa for the Fortinet. Uh, it's a good interview. It, you know, it's really my my first time doing like a real interview like that. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. I really enjoyed it. There's going to be a lot more of those on the podcast uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, for the people asking about Ireland content, I've been recording some stuff there too as well. I'm just sitting on that. That's going to come out when golf really slows down in October and November and I, you know, go to Bandon and stuff like that. But, um, really good interview with Jeff Willett, Luke Liss caddy. We had a, we have a great mutual friends. One of the guys that I played Oak Hill with and Jeff's a great guy. We talked about, uh, we got it. We covered a lot. Um, we covered live, we covered, you know, kind of a caddy's perspective to live, which I, I think is important to listen to and important to hear. Um, and, you know, eyeball emojis, uh, some how, how Luke's uh, negotiations with Liv went for himself. We, uh, we talk about all that on the podcast, as well as I ask him about the potting stuff with Luke. Like, I don't know how you don't, honestly. Um, and he was very, um, he was very honest about it. Um, so it's a good interview. I really hope you enjoy that. Uh, and you can find, like, if you want more hashtag picks and, and betting-related content, I always do that Tuesday show with Rick, right? So, like, a lot of the time with my Tuesday show on this podcast, sometimes it's going to be interviews. Like, it's for, especially for these false. I will always do a betting preview for the big events. But, like, on some of the weaker events, if I can get good interviews and, you know, get people, you know, other stuff with like golf courses and stuff like that. Like some of these weaker events, I'm going to do that. I think it's better content for the podcast feed, um, personally. And I will, you can listen to, I do a betting show with Rick every Tuesday, right? So like, I don't, I don't need to always do a full other betting show on this podcast feed as well. But 
you can find my articles uh, on rickrengoods.com. The Monday one will be up tomorrow morning. Wednesday, final DFS thoughts article. Odds checker article on Monday. Golf.com article on Monday. Um, and uh, best of luck with some football bets tomorrow. I like the uh, Packers. I don't know if that line's moved at all. And I like the um, Bengals. Uh my other two plays happened. The Browns won, so we're after a good start this week. And my other one's on Monday night. I think the Giants lose on Monday night to Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. Um, so there you go. Best of luck with your bets tomorrow, football or golf. Uh, enjoy the President's Cup, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.